welcome everybody back to another episode of the podcast. Pablo, it has been a long, long time since we've had a pod. Welcome back. Yes, sir. Glad to be back. It has definitely been a minute. Last time I was here in summer, and now I'm waking up in Florida having cold weather. So, you know, it's been a minute if that's happening. Yeah, it has certainly been a long time. And honestly, a lot's happened with uh, the NBA. We've had, you know, the all. A lot of the offseason take place, preseason went underway, and now we are here with the regular season. Today's episode's a bit different, though, because today we're starting off covering this NBA 75th team. It got released. I haven't dedicated a full episode or a majority of an episode to talking about it. Before we get to that team, though, first off, the NBA has made it through 75 seasons. Give me your thoughts on that milestone, because holy hell has it been a journey for a startup league of basketball to make it this far. I mean, it's just, it truly is something just as fans to just be grateful for and to appreciate. And just as human beings, just like to recognize like how big of a role sports plays in all of our lives, knowing that for 75 years that like, that's a lifetime for some people. So just knowing that the league has affected so many people across the globe and what basketball has meant to so many people, both directly and indirectly, is just something to just, I mean, just reflect on and definitely appreciate yeah, the fact that it's been around for three quarters of a century like hasn't hit me yet. That it's been around since nineteen forty nine, like around that range. It's like or it was like the early forties to say the least. And for it to come this far with all the stuff going on with history, if you just look at history, like it got through the sixties with all the craziness with you know like Vietnam and uh, the you know race issues and a lot of riots and stuff. It got through the seventies, which had a lot of scandals middle of the cold war it lasted the entire cold war almost even in this modern century where there's like a lot of chaos going on basketball still persisted and i think that persists is a key asset of this uh this league definitely it's always good to know that regardless of wherever the world's at basketball has always been a constant force it's always been there for us you know well especially with how about this past three years or so where you have this 2020 season that everyone's hyping up to be one of the best ever and COVID just nukes the hell out of it. We lose basketball in our lives for like five months and everyone's like, doesn't know what to do with themselves. We have this weird bubble thing where like, oh, everyone's back and they're in Orlando and there's these playoff games and there's no fans. It's cool. And then you have this following year that we just all experienced right now where it was the craziest year ever in terms of standings being whack and in terms of teams rising and other teams falling. It was a crazy pandemic riddled year and now that leads us to this year even we still made it even after that craziness of the past two and a half years or so and i think that is a testament to this league definitely i mean it's just throughout it all regardless of any situation i feel like basketball has been there and will continue to always be there which is definitely just a comforting factor to have you know it is indeed. So let's focus on this NBA 75th They released it out in rollouts of 25 players or so. First off, did you like the way they rolled it out? Because I'm going to give a little hot take here. I don't like the way they did like this three-day little like, we'll release some of the players at a time. It'll be weird. What is your what is your stance on how they rolled out the NBA uh, anniversary teams? Rolled it out. I feel like there are a few ways they could have rolled it out that would have been better. Personally, there's... Two approaches that I could have seen that could have been interesting. One would have been like a starting five from every era could have been cool because you have 75 players, so you could have done a starting five. Obviously, it's not going to be perfectly round, but you could do something to that effect. Or you could do like five players from each era. Or you could just do kind of the NFL top 100 approach where you just start 
uh, from the 75th player and work your way up individually and just have it in waves like that rather than just 25 in three days. Kind of, I don't know, just make it a little less awkward. To be fair, the NBA is not generally known for doing lists like this compared to the NFL and just other uh, leagues like that. So, I mean, perfect. But then again, it is what it is. And we're just here to appreciate that and obviously discuss and say uh, who we think should be on, who we think was missed out, and yeah. So, yeah, the interesting thing about this list, and I want to ask you this as a follow-up question, is that... There's obviously a lot of controversy trying to figure out who the 75 best players are in the NBA for a 75 Because after all, we have 75 years of sample size here to say, like, who do we think personally is the best ever? What was your biggest challenge in, like, when you're looking at the list and trying to decide, hmm, who really are the 75 best players? What's the big factor for you? Well, I guess the fact that we can't uh, – recency bias is obviously going to play a huge factor. That, that's my number one right there. Recency bias is a big one. Because we don't want to undermine or like dismiss the contributions that the great early players made to basketball. Because at the end of the day, while they may not play in this era, and it's hard to compare, because obviously all the comparisons and controversy we have, whether it be the goat debate or just discussing which era is better, could all be dismissed if we just had a time machine to just have the players match up against each other. But basketball has grown. I mean, like we said, it's been here for three quarters of a century. And how the world has changed, basketball has changed as well. Going from a world where there was, um, you could literally just have Wilt just there chilling in the paint and just <laughs> dropping, or just dropping 75 and 20 every night to having games where now teams are scoring north of 100 points on a night with very little effort, just chucking up threes. So obviously there's, the recency bias is obviously number one thing. And just not dismissing that basketball has been in different eras. So we can't just flat out make a clear-cut comparison, but we can also do our best to contextualize. So contextualization is a big thing. Glad you got that as your final word in there. The big problem for me is I agree with you, recency bias. I think we place a lot of emphasis on how good the current players are without stressing that, like, even though they're ne- they're better, of course, they're going to be better, they're not necessarily more influential in the league. Like, Bob Cousy is a big example people use. Like, Bob Cousy is, like, the prototype for every modern day point guard there is now he's the prototype for steve nash he's the prototype for uh minus the shooting steph curry he's the prototype for chris paul as a floor general run and gun offense whatever like this is just a random hypothetical john wall is a better athlete and a better player than bob cousy ever would be but bob cousy has the resume bob cousy has the everything compared to John Wall. That doesn't mean John Wall's better than Bob Cousy. Bob Cousy is, without a doubt, better than John Wall. But that's not always that easy when you then compare, instead of John Wall being there, you do it with Westbrook. Westbrook on paper has a, you know, an MVP, and he's got a bunch of, you know, triple doubles. And that looks better on paper than Bob Cousy, who played, you know, in the 50s. Exactly. And, and yeah, it's just there with context being everything. Because also, over time... The emphasis made, both like, how you talk about, again, like, the time that has spanned. Back in the 50s, there wasn't millions, billions of dollars starting from the youngest levels of developing players. Now we have, whether it be with AAU teams, how we have the G League being instead of players. It used to be the high school route. Now we have players, instead of going to college, just going straight to the G League and having, like, that developmental aspect that's been becoming more of a factor in basketball. As that continues to be more of a factor... We're going to grow to like a baseball level where guys are going to come out of these development 
leagues and just make a huge impact. And the bot, everyone's going to be getting stronger and taller and just more physically adept and ready to play in this game. And like you were saying, well, how John Wall, I thought he may just be better in everything than Bob Cousy. It's just that comparison is, again, hard to match because of the context of the era we're in right now. Well, and the game's also changing, too, and you alluded to it with the Wood example where it's like they didn't have, like, a little three-second in the paint or any little key under the yeah. paint. So The back to the basket with Charles Barkley, like, that was a huge change as well. Like, right now, I mean, honestly, right now, would it have made a huge difference? Possibly. I mean, I feel like we would have approached the three-point era eventually, but would that have slowed it down? Would that have, like, just considering, like, if they put a delay on some of these rule changes and implementing them, how the league could be so different and the trickle-down effect on all those rule changes. Well, and there's been big turning points for the league. I mean, George Mikan, even forget Will, George Mikan literally made a living as a slow white center who would plant his big ass in the paint and then just, like, shoot it over, like, the four-inch shorter defender. George Mikan would be the worst player in the league this in this time of the league because he he, he'd be like, you know, Mason Palmley or oh, Cody Zeller. Yeah, like... <laughs> a big guy that... And I mean, back then, it, it, like, for what it was, he took advantage of the tools he was given and made the best of it. Like, he one time played a basketball game with, like, a metal plate, like, attached to his leg. Like, you could not get away with that, like, in 2021. Like, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> so, the other thing that I think we want to elaborate here is that the the style of play also changes, too. Like, there's distinct moments in the league where certain historical context is needed in the 70s for instance toward the middle especially very very diluted league because the aba is taking away players from the nba and there's that little rivalry there for like nine or so years in the 90s there's a big emphasis on like suffocating defense iso ball no ball movement um kind of like slow down offenses which cratered in 2004 with that pistons lakers finals team where the pistons already were the a team that had no superstars, no top whatever guys, and yet they took advantage of the rules at the time and partially a combustible Lakers team and stole that finals, even though the Lakers were way better on paper because they got they were lucky with the defensive rules, the three point shooting, whatever. And then you you as you alluded to with this three point era, two thousand five hits, they get rid of all the rules. It's now been this weird thing with like fouling offensive players that whole debate the three-pointers become a big asset for teams now more than ever it was never teams would take like two a game in the 80s like in the 80s finals i think they took like two or three a game now you're taking two or three a minute quite frankly and the, the style of play affects the stats it affects who you're competing against it affects a lot of different things because you're taking threes and those shots are coming out longer and starting a fast break on the other end which gives you more highlight plays than you see before as well you see more fast breaks, fast breaks lead to more threes, all that stuff. It's just all the trickle down effect of just all these rule changes. And again, I mean, another huge rule change, I mean, this year is how the NBA has approached the fouling. Yes. Fouling, which I'm personally a huge foul of. It, Me like, too. That is just beautiful basketball right now because now we are getting back to just make the basket. Don't worry about the foul the, the way the game is supposed to be played. Yeah, real quick, I gotta ask you: has has basketball been a little bit more entertaining this year? Not because of recency bias on our end, but because the fouling has like kind of been solved low key. It's worked really well so far with like stop with the bullshit fouls. Yeah, I mean, not to take away from the conversation in terms of the all time comparison. No, 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 but it matters though because this is a rule that affects. Yeah, 
like approaching this year from a non-recency bias standpoint, just holistically, this is a one-year approach comparing last year to this year. I am very much a fan of the rule change, and I think that the games have been more entertaining, and we're getting back to the basketball that we all know and love. And don't get me wrong, there are some players that are extremely skilled at taking advantage of the rules. And if the rules are there, you're going to take advantage of them. Because at the end of the day, you want to win games. And if you win games, no one's going to question how you got there. But now, you're going to have guys like, I mean, you saw with James Harden. He was very adept at just taking advantage of the situation and putting himself in position to draw a lot of fouls. But he's always been the guy that can get you a bucket. He just needs to focus on instead of thinking and how he's had that muscle like muscle memory and that mentality of drawing fouls, just get back to just getting buckets, you know? There's three more points I want to touch on before we get into the actual All-NBA team itself that stand out to me. Number one, back to the recency bias point, and you can elaborate on this. There is a big issue with social media where we have a lot more exposure to the 21st century guys than we do the 20th century guys. Like, even in the 90s, outside of, like, Michael Jordan and, you know, the last dance bit, if we didn't have the last dance, we wouldn't really know much about the the Gary Paytons, the Charles Barkleys, the Malones and Stocktons, those guys, more so than the 80s and 70s people. That disconnect between the 21st century guys and the 20th century guys is really also making things pretty complicated with making some sort of, like, all-NBA list. Yeah, I mean, aside from, like, a few documentaries on, like, NBA TV, you really have zero context. We have more context about a guy like Miles Bridges because of his highlight dunks on Instagram than we do about some of the greatest players of that era. Seriously. Yeah, and then the other thing that stands out to me when looking at this list that I'm just like, yeah, this totally makes sense, is that there is a gravitation toward picking guys in the recent especially the 2020s, because we've just grown up with them more. Like, we have more access to Damian Lillard footage and Westbrook footage than we do to, you know, Dave Bing and uh, Isaiah Thomas and some of these, you know, point guards, even though Isaiah Thomas and Dave Bing and, you know, uh, and Lenny Wilkins and some of these individuals made it. That's also a factor into this as well. Yeah, 1,000%. I couldn't agree more there. And just, I mean, there's just so much more content for us to consume now in terms of just the social media standpoint that, again, this should obviously really provide. I mean, a guy like Jeremy Lin, like his like moment, like that small peak, that Lin sanity period, there's probably so many players from the 80s and 90s years that had similar like situations to that that just, we just aren't aware about just because we didn't have that same media situation. So this leads me to my final point, and I think this is the part that leads to a lot of debate. There is a hard line. I think we know more or less what the top 45 players are in the league, like ever, like top 40, 45, 50, around that range. After like 60, there's a like big like, how the hell do you do this? Because all of those guys have flawed resumes in some case. Like I, I had a pod the other day with this other individual, and we talked about it. We said that there's some guys who have like great – uh, regular season resumes, but no playoff resume. There's guys who played for like 20 years, but never did anything, but their longevity and their, they were good, but not great. And they played for 20 years. How do you measure that? There's the w- Russell Westbrook crap where it's like awesome resume, but shaky performances, shaky uh, skill set, whatever. And then there's the like, categories of like they did that one thing that one time like the good example for me is like bob mcadoo where he wins like one mvp out of nowhere in the 70s and then becomes like a dud and doesn't do anything and then becomes like a six man for those lakers teams in the 80s 
How do, how the hell do you quantify that? That all yeah, those challenges are impossible. There's like there's so many guys like a guy like Yao Ming who has such like a tremendous impact. Yes, that's a good one. Standpoint, just like he brought so much to the game, and he is like a figurehead of the league. Like when you think basketball, like Yao Ming is a guy you can think of. When people ask him about basketball, especially like from an Asian American player standpoint, just like an Asian like for Asian American people here in the United States, if you're gonna ask him about basketball, like he is just a figurehead for them historically. So, unfortunately, while he was, like, cut short due to injuries, his impact, while it may not be measurable because of his uh, short career, is still, like, impactful enough that you could make a case for him to be in the top 75. And I think after that 40 and 45 standpoint, that's where it becomes about impact and what they meant to the league overall rather than just like, oh, a guy that was great for 20 years. Like, that's where it gets really – those bubble guys, you know? Well, and how about a guy like Pau Gasol, who's one of my favorite? I got him, like, 90th all time or something like that. Fantastic career, plays forever, awesome, multi-time All-NBA guy, should have won finals MVP low-key in 2010. He had a fantastic Game 7 that people forget about. Could contribution to the league both as a Spanish player – there's a lot of Europeans now here, and Dirk Nowitzki, there's some of those guys that get brought up, but Pau Gasol was a big reason why we have a lot of Spanish players and why that Spanish national team is so good. How do I quantify that when NBA-wise it may not be the best, but league-wise it led to what we have now, which is a very international-heavy improvement on the league that we really didn't see before in the 60s, 70s, 80s, etc. Yeah, we wouldn't have had the influx of players like a Porzingis or a Dodgers or any of those guys, even considering wanting to play in the NBA because they just had their own European leagues. That transition to NBA has become so much more normalized because of guys like Gasol literally setting the benchmark of what it is to be an international player coming to the NBA. Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, is that all these guys have shaky resumes, and that leads to the very gray area of, like, how do I quantify that? Excellent example is James Worthy. James Worthy on his resume has, like, two All-NBA third teams and a Finals MVP. On paper, it looks horrible. On paper, it looks like a top 75 guy, maybe. But James Worthy was one of the best small forwards ever. You have to put him in the top 60 at least. Like, there's no way he would be left off a top 75. But resume-wise, he sucks. Then this leads into the modern players debate that we can finally get into. Um, Because there's a couple guys that I think we had a big narrative, like, why didn't they make it, whatever. I want to start with Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard's the big one here. I think he was a very... Yeah, so let's start with Dwight Howard. Do you think he should have made the All-NBA team? And this is where I think recency bias actually hurts him a little bit. Yes. He has been, obviously he's placed in the villain role. Everyone dislikes him, especially after all that happened with LA. But he's an eight-time All-NBA, eight-time All-Star. He's a three-time Defensive Player of the Year, and he's an NBA champion at the end of the day. And... When he was on the Magic, he was one of the most impactful players in the NBA at that time. Whether you like him or not, whether all that stuff after he basically blew up in L.A. and his, then he played with the Rockets and then he was literally all over the league. He was in Atlanta for a bit. He was with the Six. Like, just all that stuff with the Sixers back in L.A. now, just his, now he's just a veteran guy that's just a journeyman. And while right now, recently... He has not been the top 75 player we know. Like, if he were to retire today and in 10 years from now, someone's going to talk about his career from a holistic standpoint, then people would probably be more appreciative of who he was to the game. 
Well, and the other thing too with Dwight is that the recency bias points excellent because after he left the Magic, it was like downhill from there. It was that one Lakers year where it's like, holy hell, Kobe Bryant hates this guy. He was going to stay in LA forever. He leaves after one year, doesn't resign. The Rockets thing never works out, although I think he had a very underrated tenure with Houston that people forget about, especially with he had a fantastic playoff series multiple times. His teams did well, and they just got unfortunately unlucky. And then there's, like, the journeyman career where he goes to, you know, Charlotte. He goes to Atlanta, Washington for, like, the weird nine games. He's almost out of the league, and then L.A. picks him up. He becomes, like, a cool six-man center off the bench. And then now with Philly and then back in L.A. The other thing with Dwight is that I think people forget how good he was in the early 2010s. Like, he went toe-to-toe with LeBron and Kobe in a final series. Like, he was the best player on a finals team and a multi-time contender. Like, I think that matters. I think if you were one of the best players and your team was in the running for contention, you should get credited with kind of being one of the best. It's the reason why people have a hype for, like, Allen Iverson, for instance, or not that he's that good, but, like, even, like, Ray Allen, where Ray Allen had that one good year with the Bucks, where they made the conference finals and they almost snuck in there, or Reggie Miller, always that. Dwight Howard was honestly better than, at least an argument, better than some of those guys from a peak standpoint. Yeah. And... Unfortunately, I feel like he's one of the main guys that stands out in terms of just, like, it's not even about the impact. Like, the, like the context of it's a little bit, like, less murky. I feel like there's more just a flat-out sub compared to some of the other guys. I feel like with Paul Gasol and some of those other guys, you can understand why. Um, this one is just, besides recency bias playing a role, it really shouldn't be that easy of a decision to just mark him off. And I am not a Dwight Howard fan. Being a Heat fan... Being very biased against him throughout my lifetime. Yeah, oh my god. But at the end of the day, when you're approaching a list like this, bias doesn't play a role. Shouldn't play a role. And he meant a lot to the game. So, so Dwight Howard, I also have as he should have been on the team. I have him like 60th overall or 61 overall. Like he was a good player, awesome resume, no crumbs there. More interesting debate, Clay Thompson. Uh, that was a big one that he got very angry on Twitter and was very vocal about his absence on the team. I direct the question to you, Clay Thompson. Should he or should he have not been on this 75th anniversary team for the NBA? I think he can be. In terms of, unfortunately, injuries play a role. If he didn't have his injuries and he had played those years that he was hurt, he would be on that list. I don't think he should be on it. I'm going to be honest. I don't think he should be on it. I'm saying saying I don't think he should be on it right now. But if he had played those years and been healthy and continued doing what he was doing and made the contributions that he had continued to be making for the Warriors, then there's an argument that could be made. But that's a pure hypothetical. And we don't choose a list based on a pure hypothetical. So right now I say no. And it's unfortunate that he got hurt. If he was healthy and you just add two more years of Clay Thompson being Clay Thompson, then yes. But again, I feel like it's more of a recency bias there as well just because of the impact and how important the Warriors were for to the league for that span of time. I'd say no. Well, that's a good point because that's the problem is that I think people were angry Clay didn't make it because of the Warriors' impact where he's the second and third best player on these championship teams that literally made the finals for half for half a decade. They won, two t- well, they won three titles, made two additional finalses. They, Clay Thompson has the all-time game six against OKC where he drops like 42 points, 11 three-pointers. 
hit some crazy shots, and if without them, they lose that game. They don't come back down 3-1. He has some clutch, clutch moments. He makes a couple NBA third teams. He's got the, like, he's one of those guys where it's like, the resume isn't good, but the impact is there. How do I measure that, like, from a basketball perspective and from a uh, Legends perspective? But even if he played the extra two years, I don't think he would make it. Because I don't think he had a, be- a good ceiling. He would just be a complimentary guy. He'd be like Joe Dumars. Like, oh, he was the one, a, a complimentary good player on a finals team or a championship team. And I think that limitation might limit him to make it. Do you disagree? Do you think that his longevity and his impact in those key games should outweigh some of these other guys making it just from that alone? It's Again, I feel like it's a very tough thing to judge just because... I feel like overall, there's just some guys that unfortunately, they're great players, but it's the 75 greatest, and unfortunately, there's just going to be some misses, and there's going to be some guys that you can switch one for the other, and you can make the argument back and forth for both of them to be like on those last, like those last like 10 to 15 spots, you could probably swap out some guys, and the list could probably like be the same, quote unquote, like in terms of you could really substitute some guys. And you could be making arguments for both of them back and forth, regardless of who was in place, on having having them take that player's spot. The other thing with Clay Thompson, too, that I think we have to add is that you go the good point, by the way, I'm like, we could swap them in and out, and then you can do the whole debate for like literally neons and decades because of how close it is. There is a what if out there of like if Clay Thompson was not on the Warriors. Like, what if he had his own team? would we judge him differently? Because there wouldn't be the game six. I know there's a what if, what if, but like there wouldn't be the game six because he would have never been in that position, he, but he would have scored more. He would have had the ball in his hands more. He wouldn't be a third or fourth guy on that team. That also factors into where it's so hard to judge that. Real quick, because I forgot to touch on this with Dwight Howard, Anthony Davis made the All-NBA 75 team. Should he have made it number one in your eyes? And number two, does it mean that Dwight Howard should have definitely made it as well? Because I'd argue Dwight Howard has a better career than Anthony Davis ever had right now, but Anthony Davis made it. So I, I point that question to you. That's recency bias, 100% playing the factor, unfortunately. Um, they're really overvaluing his contribution to that Lakers team in the bubble, I'd say. Because in reality, I'm biased against Anthony Davis. So I'm not going to dismiss that. However, like you were saying with Clay Thompson, if he had his own team, Everyone's like overvaluing. Like he was a great player when he was on the Pelicans, but they're overvaluing that he was a good, a great player on a bad team. And he was literally the only solution for scoring and defense and anything on that team. So he was going to obviously perform very well. But I think Dwight Howard at his peak was te- like better than Anthony Davis at his peak, from a personal opinion standpoint. Was Anthony Davis probably a better scorer? Yes, but overall basketball player, who do I want as my center? I want Dwight. Well, it's interesting. So, a couple more snubs here that stood out to me. Tracy McGrady not making it. Um, what are your thoughts on T Mac being left off? He had a decent career, not the best playoff resume. It's a fine line again with him. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts on Tracy McGrady kind of getting snubbed off here? At his peak, he was just so dominant. But again, just injuries and. That's a really tough one because of the what if. Because if he doesn't get hurt, he was on a tear with the Magic. He won two scoring titles. He was just a dominant scorer. I mean, 
just what he brought to the game. Like, he was just an exciting, crazy player. And just overall, like, he was challenging guys. Like, Kobe, like, he was one of those, like, forefront of the league type players and, like, ascending into that role. But besides that, his resume leaves a lot to be desired. Besides, like, obviously, yes, his, uh, his all-star appearances and his all-NBA appearances. But besides that, unfortunately, his lack of a resume besides that leaves a lot to be desired. But again, we could swap him in and say, oh, because of his dominance and scoring and all that stuff, we need to swap him in. But then we, again, go back to that situation where we could just be having the same argument for someone else to swap him in. Well, another thing, I couldn't agree more. I have him, like, under 75. He's, like, 80-something for me. The playoff resume is very bad. Like, he never got out of the first round, ever. He had multiple times where his teams were up and they blew leads. I'm not even considering it. He had a horrible time. I don't think he was a, a that good of a player. I think he was a fantastic player. Don't get me wrong. Uh, before we kind of touch on some actual in-season stuff, a couple of names that stood out to me that I want to get your thoughts on should they have made it or should they have not, at least like if you had to have an honest heart-to-heart with yourself. Damian Lillard making the All-NBA 75 anniversary team. I, I think that's a stretch. Damian Lillard is a dominant player, but his lack of... Obviously, his playoff success in terms of how he's been a very clutch player, and I'm sorry that you're trapped in Portland, Dame, but Tony Parker is not on this list. Tony Parker is... I hated Tony Parker when I was like, being a Heat fan. But, <laughs> oh, don't we all? <laughs> but Tony Parker... His success in the playoffs and just his winning and his dominance overall. I mean, he finished fifth in MVP voting. He's a finals MVP. As much as Damon has been a dominant player, score like literally just Steph thought he was the only one that could score from that deep, and then he just does that. It's just like him. I don't think he's on the list. I think it's a stretch. I think he could be in that 10 to like bottom 10 to 15, but I think that's more recency bias playing a factor because then we were going to say like, oh, if he's not in the top 75, it's going to have like a situation from complaining on Twitter and all this stuff. And like, wow, everyone's just being a hater on Dame. But. Yeah, no, I. It's a no. Yeah, no, I had him as like a definite no. I had him like in my 90s on my list. Like he's down below because it's not that he's bad, but it's all, the other guys were just better. They had better resumes. Like, Damian Lillard, unless he's, like, on another team and could be, like, the second best player in a title team, I don't see that team kind of doing anything, and I think that's a big one. Uh, I think there's one more I have on here. I'm trying to see if I could find it real quick uh, for a a modern guy. Oh, yeah. Ah, yes. Let's have the fun debate. Russell Westbrook. I I don't think there's as much of a strong case that he should be in the top 75 anymore. I'm not saying I personally don't have him in the top 75. I do. But... Is the Westbrook argument kind of fading now, given recent years of playoff struggles, uh, overrating the triple doubles and the impact? Is that legitimate? Um, I feel like at his peak when he breaks Oscar Robertson's um, triple-double record, from there it has been a severe downhill for Russell Westbrook in his career overall. Um, he just hasn't been that guy anymore, unfortunately. And honestly, I find it easier to dismiss him off the team. Recently, by his face, it's easy just because he's had this just severe drop off so fast. But 
unless he can find a way to the thing is we've been saying that this for us unless he can find a way with better shot selection and be a more complete player we've been asking that of him for a while i, I feel like i've been asking that for a decade <laughs> exactly so it's easy to pull it off when your athleticism will carry you and you're just that guy but he's no longer that guy and needs to realize that he is not peak athletic Russell Westbrook. So I agree, couldn't agree with you more. Let's get into some NBA NBA talk for like five or so minutes before we wrap this up. Um, let's start with Miami. Haven't gotten your Miami takes yet in this first little bit. We're off to a good start. Uh, what has been your thought on the Heat so far in this little like sample size of uh, the start of this year? Not here. I would not try to jinx myself. Um, I love Tyler Hero right now with every bit of my body. Bubble Boy's back. He's back. Since day one um, because of his job output. To be fair, I mean, we had this conversation before the season that he's really kind of in like his second season technically just because of how fast the turnaround was. Like him having a full offseason to put on some muscle, get in the gym, and get himself right just mentally, hearing all the hate, and the way he's just approached that makes me very proud that the Heat culture didn't lose someone like him because I was very concerned that he was going to go with a prima donna mindset and just kind of be a guy that brought the team down. But he's kind of been what's been keeping us afloat in situations. I mean, just last night against the Hornets, he was just on a tear. And he's just been like coming off the bench like a stabilizing force just from a scoring standpoint, and now learning from Kyle Lowry has stepped up his playmaking as well. But he's not the main story with the Heat. I think the main story with the Heat is the impact of P.J. Tucker and Kyle Lowry. Already. Um, Already early starts for them, yes. (laughs) That defense is... Last year, when the Heat shot below 30%, or in the last two years, we were like 0-12 in in such situations when we shot below 30%. We've had, like, two games like that this year, and we've won both of them. You mean under 30% from three, right? It was below 30%, yeah. Okay, gotcha, yeah. Yeah, I believe that's the number. It was something around that um, figure, but just how, like, I mean, last year, we lived and died by the three-point shot. But now, we're so much more of a complete team that if the three-point shot's not falling, we have Cal Lowry with the pace that he brings to the team just always looking ahead, always looking to advance the ball. And the pressure he takes off Jimmy to allow Jimmy to beat Jimmy Buckets allows our offense to not be so reliant on a three-point shot to fall. And it doesn't need to beat Jimmy playmaking in the first half and then having to turn it on every single game in the fourth quarter to bring us back out of just a tough game. Now we have more complete defense, just more contributions from everyone, and just Kyle Lowry being the point guard that while well, he hasn't been dominant from a scoring standpoint, just elevating the team like a good point guard does. What's been your most surprising team so far out of the gate uh, coming into this year? Because I've got a couple, but I think some of those Eastern Conference teams especially, they've really shocked me so far, especially like the Hornets, the Knicks, among those teams. Um, I'm definitely going to say the Knicks just because I was – I remember we had this conversation and I was kind of – not as severely against the Knicks as you are. I think there is some hate in your heart for the Knicks just from a biased perspective. Yep. <laughs> but I kind of find it ironic how their moves have worked out uh, to your dismay from your early season predictions. Every argument I have in the book so far has not worked, which is going great. Like, Kemba Walker's been amazing so far. Evan Fournier's been super-duper good. But yeah. I'm not. Ho- I'm holding out hope for my Knicks under bet that they'll go 40-42. and 42. I'm betting on it. 
And um, it also is early in the season. It's the first few weeks. You can come out very prepared out of the gate, but when you face adversity, when you face an injury of a guy being out for a week, you face a tough stretch where your shots aren't falling the same. How do you respond to that? And how are you going to approach it? Because it's a long season. One last question for you. What has been your most disappointing team so far after this little bit? It could be both Eastern Conference or Western Conference. I think the two big ones are probably for you, Nets and Lakers, right? Nets and Lakers. So yeah. g- give me a rationale for both, and then we'll uh, call it a day. For the Nets, I feel like I need to speak more to the Nets because with the Lakers, I feel like I'm definitely going to have a lot more um, just bias overall. I feel like with the Nets, I can speak just from more of a truthful standpoint. I feel like, unfortunately, the Kyrie drama has probably played a role in just – a distraction for that team, unfortunately. Um, but the one thing I'd say, we saw in the Heat game, and James Harden is a dominant player. I was hoping with every point of my mind that he would have traded for him back when we had that whole possibility to do so. But in that Heat game, he was trying so hard to just draw fouls, and that's where the rule change comes into play. That It's really just been him and KD. And regardless, look, James Harden will eventually figure it out. Katie's going to get it figured out. Patty Mills has been, was, been great for them. He was a great pickup. But their biggest issue is rebounding and interior defense. And the Heat, who last year were awful rebounding, who have turned it around this year. Anyway, their rebounding has been porous, atrocious, just awful. They have not been able to just put a body on someone and just box out and end offensive possessions or get second-chance points to save, like, a life. I would not put my life on the line asking the Brooklyn Nets to get me a rebound at all. Yeah, no, I could definitely agree with you there, yeah. And what that, is, that was, yeah, it's definitely a team to watch out for because I've c- covered them probably every episode into it because of how disappointing they've been. But we'll have that all on this pod down the road. Pablo, first time in a while being back on the pod. Thank you so much for joining. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me.